Hello and welcome to Radio 43. This is a new weekly podcast series from Hope Not Hate. Each week on this show, we'll be releasing a rapid anti-fascist intelligence report coming straight from us to you in 15 minutes or less. This is a podcast designed for anti-fascists and journalists and really anyone interested in the day-to-day activities of the far right. This podcast takes its name from the 43 Group, an inspiring set of post-war anti-fascists who fought off the threat of the far right whose memory lives large in the collective consciousness of those combating the far right today. My name's Roxana Khan-Williams. My name's Nick Spooner. And each week, either myself or Roxy will be sitting down with Joe Mulhall, Hope Not Hate senior researcher, to pick out some key moments and developments from the previous week. Welcome to Radio 43. How's it going, Joe? How are you? Yeah, very well. Good to be back. How are you? I'm tremendous. Yeah, really good. Sun shining. Um, no, it's not. It's not where I am. Is it not? Oh, that's a, that's a shame. <laughs> I've had a I've had a coffee. Feeling good. Looking for a, looking for a sponsor. I think for this podcast. Who, who, who do you want to get to sponsor this podcast? Oh, there must be a trade union out there, isn't there, that could give us a hand? <laughs> yeah, you would have thought so. I was hoping for like a coffee sponsor or something. But yeah. oh, I see what yeah. you mean. Yeah, yeah. No, like a chocolate company or something. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Um, so we've got a load to get through today, um, so let's let's crack on. First thing we're going to talk about are some, some terror trials that are going on at the moment. Um, you know, we can't speak about all of them for, for, for obvious reasons, but you've, you've been following these quite closely, haven't you, Joe? Yes, I mean, I mean this, is, this is over the last few years. We've had this kind of explosion of far-right terror arrests and convictions and and they just keep coming. I mean, it, it, there's been record numbers for quite some time, but there's there's an absolute shed load going on right now. And um, some of them we can talk about in a, a bit of depth and others of them are, are kind of still going on. Uh, and often the individuals in question have um, kind of denied the charges. But I mean, there's a few we can talk about, right? Um, there's this one that's kind of uh, recently finished, Michael Nugent, he was 37 from Ashford in Surrey. Uh, and this kind of Again, a lot of this stuff is about disseminating terror material, etc. And, and Nugent was sharing manuals on how to make explosives, uh, homemade firearms. And he was also running various kind of telegram groups uh, as well. Like Telegram is awash with this sort of extremist content. And he was running a number of these extreme white chat groups, uh, extreme, extreme right chat groups, should I say. Um, and he was, uh, he was arrested back in 2020 in August. But the kind of Met managed to find loads of this stuff and link it to him. And so, yeah, that's just one. But there is a whole host of these ongoing trials. I don't know if uh, you want to talk a bit more about that one or if it, you'd prefer me to kind of go through some of the others or... Well, yeah, I mean, so he's been convicted. He's going to be sentenced in June. Mm-hmm. Um, he was, like you say, sharing manuals on bomb making, weapons. He was telling people how to deliver bombs as Amazon packages as well, apparently, which is uh, you know extraordinary. So he... Uh, He's going to be for sentencing in June, as I say. Why is it that, that Telegram seems to be the go-to place for for some of these groups to uh, to to, to mobilise and organise? What is it about the platform that kind of lends itself to uh, to these far right activists? Well, the, the simple answer to that is uh, the lack of moderation. You know, the the lack of uh, the platform's negligence, really. Um, Telegram, for those who don't know, is is like a messaging app. It's a bit like WhatsApp, but it also has open channels where you can kind of have thousands of members and it's almost operates like a closed Twitter feed, if you will. And it is awash with extreme far-right terror material. And it's not that they can't deal with it. 
because they can. I mean, they, they, like they were called out many years ago on Islamist terror stuff and pro-ISIS channels and, and took some action on that. And they have taken some very tentative steps around far-right extremism, but nowhere near enough. I mean, a huge amount of our time at Hope Not Hate now is spent monitoring kind of what, what you might call the terrorgram, this network of far-right terror channels all over the world, often with hundreds of members posting very extreme content, pro-weapons, pro-violence, pro-rape even, uh, pro-terrorism. I mean, it's a real cesspool of the internet. And the reason it's there is because Telegram have not acted against it. And we, over the years, have sent channels to them and asked them to take action. And they have time and time again refused to take anywhere near the requisite or responsible level of action on it. So that's why there's so much of it in Telegram. You said there are a couple of other trials going on as well at the moment. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole host. Some people have recently been convicted. Uh, some people are still going. You had... Um, uh, recently, obviously, there was the Benjamin Hannum case. He was the first police officer convicted of neo-Nazi terrorism. Um, he was jailed for four plus years. That was that was quite recently. Um, Oliver Bell, he was found guilty of terrorism offences in April. Uh, he'll be sentenced kind of later this month. Uh, Andrew Dimmock, this is a trial that's ongoing. Uh, he's in court. He currently denies 12 terrorism-related charges, uh, ranging from kind of possessing racially inflammatory material, stirring up racial hatred, uh, stirring up hatred on the grounds of sexual orientation. Uh, there's another one also in court, a guy called Dean Morris. He denies two counts of possessing explosive substances without a lawful purpose. Um, there was also this series of raids in Keeley in West Yorkshire recently, Swindon in Wiltshire mm -hmm. as well, and Anglesey in the northwest of Wales. That was back in the beginning of this month. And four people have now been charged in relation to right-wing terror investigation there. Um, including, again, a range of things, possessing articles connected with terrorism, manufacturing and possessing a 3D printed firearms. You know, uh, most of these individuals have, have kind of denied the charges or the court cases are ongoing. And so we, you know, we can't say anything about them. But it does play into the fact that there is a, uh, the point that there is a large number of both arrests, convictions, trials ongoing, once again, reiterating just quite how violent elements, some, uh, how violent some elements of the British far right currently are. And it's like what you said on the last episode when you were talking about how when far-right groups are shut out of the electoral process, they'll turn to more extreme methods to, uh, to get their point across. Yeah, it's a combination of kind of uh, people looking for seeing extremism as their, their only route right now because, of, as you say, of, uh, a lack of electoral politics. But also, I think part of it is the establishment or the state, probably better, in the, and the police taking this more seriously. I mean, we've been banging the drum about the, far, the threat of far-right terrorism for many years. You know, let's not forget Joe Cox was murdered a few years ago um, you know, there was Copeland in the 90s. Far-right terrorism has been with us throughout the whole of the post-war period. And, and it's like at various times it's taken seriously and at other times it's not. And so things like the banning of national action has led to a raft of terror arrests, the murder of Joe Cox. You know, a tragic event again woke up people's realisation to the dangers of far-right ideology. And so I think kind of a part of the fact that there's been this wave of arrests is that the police and the state are looking for it more actively as well. Yeah, yeah. So lots, lots to monitor there. So uh, as well, also Britain First have been out. They've been out doing some leafleting in Preston. So it looks like they've, been, they've, just, they've described it as handing out grooming gang awareness leaflets, but it seems to have just been them intimidating people at the police station, at taxi ranks, at the railway station, at convenience shops, at takeaways. And then they seem to get into a confrontation at one of the taxi offices, which, uh, which I, I think brought them to people's attention. They seem to have been... Britain First seem to have been ramping up quite quite a lot more aggressive tactics over the last few months, Joe. I mean, they've been doing all these, uh, they've been doing a lot of work down in Kent, um, and they seem to be one of the more active organisations around again at the moment. So, is that is that is that accurate to say? And how much is it really paying off for them? Do you think? Yeah, you're absolutely absolutely spot on there. I mean, 
Britain First have been really, really active throughout the whole of the lockdown, actually. Um, it's not a massive organisation, right? They project this image. They always have been very good at projecting this huge image that there's, you know, armies of people that support them. You know, at the, at the height of their social media reach, there was like a million people in, or more that in their Facebook group. But a huge amount of those were not real or they were bought. And a lot of uh, another chunk of those didn't really know what they were, were about. They've always been very good at projecting this huge image while actually reality remaining a relatively small organisation with a, a dedicated core activist base. But they have been growing. They have got a regional structure now in place where they have branches and groups around the country. They're, they're quite active in the Midlands. They're quite active in the Northwest. Um, and they do lots of actions. And, and you mentioned a few of them there, but um, you know they were in Dover last weekend. And that's just Paul Golding and a couple of others filming migrant arrivals. Um, they were, as you say, this kind of this pretty ugly stuff they were doing up in Preston at the taxi rank where the police ended up being called with these grooming gang awareness leaflets. Um, they've done this in various places that have been uh, kind of tied up in these really, of course, really heartbreaking stories of child exploitation in certain communities around the country. And they've really sought to exploit those issues and racialize those issues. And we've seen them give out leaflets both, as you say, in places like Preston, but they've also picked various other parts of the country and they've gone into, you know, to, just to prove the kind of racial politics behind it, they've chosen kebab shops and taxi ranks, right? Um, and so they've been doing that. They've also got these battle buses now. They've got these two battle buses, so they drive around. They're also doing lots of leaflet drops, uh, banner drops over bridges. Um, they've bought a, a whole set of banners recently. They've got also got uh, their kind of first big uh, kind of collective meeting coming up this weekend near Coventry, um, which is happening this coming Saturday. So they're very, very active, but I wouldn't want to say they're massive. Quite often when, you know, obviously we, we know what's going on and who's, who's going out in which places, it's actually a relatively small number of core activists that often turn up simultaneously in different places. They'll go to one place one day, the next place the next day. You know, Paul Golding drives around the country, picking people up, moving them between them. So they're very active, but not necessarily anywhere near as big as they're pretending. But I definitely think they're one to watch. They're, they're, they're very dangerous. Some of the politics and they've been engaging in around the migrant question is really, really ugly. As you say, it's confrontational. They're getting in people's faces. They're going into migrant hotels. And they've always been, this has always been a bit of their raison d'etre, you know, they were kind of made their name with the mosque invasions they used to do and uh so we shouldn't be surprised by this but it's ugly politics it's kind of like far traditional far-right politics it's about getting in people's faces intimidating people um, and whipping up racial tension in communities where there's issues so um they're one to watch but i don't want to kind of blow up them in terms of saying that there's some massive new threat because they've always been there and, and they're not much bigger than they used to be yeah, it did seem like some of their activities have been a bit of a callback to those those high-profile mosque invasions. Talking of small groups, uh, Patriotic Alternative, uh, they've been out in London for the first time in a while, I think. I mean, they had a pretty terrible event there last August where they tried to do a banner drop. I think it was in Trafalgar Square and they got chased out of the area by anti-fascists pretty quickly. Um, it was a disastrous mm. uh, event for them. But they've been busier elsewhere, especially in Yorkshire. So, you know, how, how how far do you think this patriotic alternative branch in London is going to take off? And could you also explain to our listeners why a far right group would be doing a litter pick? <laughs> yeah, I mean, patriotic alternative, for those that don't know, it's um, kind of racial nationalist organisation, neo-Nazi, Paul Collett, Paul Collett, Mark Collett runs it. Um, with Laura Towler and, and kind of uh, Collett was kind of one of the big figures in the British National Party youth wing many years ago uh, and they've actually had a very good lockdown if you will they've grown 
Um, they've been very active. They've often kind of an ability to get quite large numbers out at, on events on the weekends, things like litter picks, marches, etc. Um, they do a lot of hiking and they have a lot. They're kind of big online streams as well. So I think. Uh, you know, I think there's a real concern there. They're obviously, like all the first of the far right, projecting a much larger image than they have. But I do think they've got a, a quite a growing number of core activists, and which is really worrying considering how extreme they are. They've been, this is not, I mean, they're an order of magnitude more extreme than something like Britain First. They're racial nationalists. Yeah, they talk about the, race more explicitly, don't they? Than, than massively. Else. Way more talk about race. If you're in the private chats and private groups, there's way more talk about the Holocaust, Holocaust denial anti-Semitism. I mean, a lot of the people involved in this network are out and out neo-Nazis. There's kind of no way around that. But um, in terms of like things that are going on, actually the Southeast region is one to, uh, it's interesting. They've kind of been a bit in flux recently. They, they were led by a guy called Theo Wilmot in the Southeast region, which was separate to London. He's actually deleted his Twitter and Instagram and left the group. Um, and handed it over to you know, so-called Cornelius, who runs the London one. So uh, they have been kind of coming back into action. They've clearly had some internal issues in the southeast of England. They were they had eight people out in rain and marshes in Essex to do this litter pick uh, um, a few days ago. Why are they doing litter picks? I mean, part of it is is they're seeking to engage in a form of far right politics, um, which is about kind of building a sense of community, right? So it's about march. It's no sorry. It's not about marches through the streets. It's about hiking through the hills. It's about, you know, for them, it's about they. It's about very, there's an environmentalist strain in there, which I think we as kind of environmentalists and progressives in this area need to be really careful when these issues are co-opted, because their idea of environmentalism and, and ecology includes what they would call culture. So you know, it's not just about preserving the green fields; it's also about preserving the white race. And so they tie these things together. There's always, of course, been a kind of eco-fascist strain that goes back to the 20s. There's always been an environmentalism and ecology tied into far-right politics. There's some really interesting articles on our website written, written by my colleague David Lawrence. And so for them, a part of it's about, you know, uh, building a sense of community, white community amongst themselves and their activists, and also kind of more cynically proving to the local community that they're not bad people, right? This is the cynical element to it. You know, as well as though we're talking about the environment, it's also about saying, you know, everyone calls us neo-Nazis and anti-Semites and racists, but here we are actually doing something really nice for your local community. They did not invent this tactic. The BNP used to do this sort of stuff. Lots of far-right parties across Europe have done this sort of stuff. It's about trying to prove to the local community, put roots down in the local community and say, actually, we're quite nice guys. Um, we're not these terrible, dangerous people. We're actually, you know, decent guys. And that's, that's why, you know, community organising, you know, community campaigning at a grassroots level from progressives is so important about building resilience against these kind of groups. Absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. They, they are targeting our communities. They, this is like, uh, as yet, they're still not registered at the Electoral Commission. And so we'll have to see if they become an electoral threat. But this is about trying to get into communities. Uh, it's about recruiting local people. You know, they have a branch structure again. They have regional uh, leaders and regional officers and those sorts of stuff. So they are targeting local communities. They're targeting young people. They even have things like curriculums for homeschooling on their website. Oh, yeah, I've so seen absolutely, those. Yeah, this, yeah. this is really about uh, kind of community anti-fascism is needed in response to this. So moving on, we've got a couple minutes left so we've, and we've still got a bit to cover. Joe, just tell us in a few words what happened in London on the weekend. There was 10,000 10, people marched in London for the London Freedom Rally. Conspiracy yeah. theory backed group, is that right? Yeah, so yeah, there's London Freedom Rally at the weekend. This is kind of, it was like an anti-lockdown demonstration. This is a separate demonstration to the uh, pro-Palestinian demonstration that happened at the same time. Um, Again, this kind of brought together a, a coterie of weird conspiracy theorists. There was Piers Corbyn, 
There was Kate uh, Shamirani. There was David Icke and his son Gareth Icke. And there was also like some quite well-known far-right figures that people might have come across. Nick Cotton was there, who goes under the name Unwashed. Lucy Brown. Uh, then there was uh, on the more moderate end, James Dellingpole from Breitbart was there. And then the uh, Dave, uh, unsurprisingly, David Curtin from the Heritage Party, which is kind of like this weird anti-vax conspiracy, UKIP splinter. And, and also people from For Britain, uh, the, the kind of anti-Muslim party, were all there. So it brought together this weird mix of anti-lockdown people, um, conspiracy theorists and the far right. Um, and so we saw relatively large numbers, you know, the, these demonstrations have fluxed and some of them have been big, some of them have been small. Seeing 10,000 is obviously really worrying. I'm not saying by any stretch of the imagination it was a demonstration of all far-right figures. There was lots of non-far-right people on it, but it certainly attracted a coterie of uh, quite a pretty large number of kind of, you're, you're kind of far-right racists as well. Yeah, yeah. And we saw some absolutely despicable scenes in Golders Green as well on the weekend mm. um it was a yeah, convoy viral. for those of you who haven't seen yeah it went viral on internet uh, on twitter there was a convoy convoy of uh, of cars driving through golders green shouting anti-semitic slogans on on loud hailers uh, i mean it's absolutely grotesque racism and misogyny that you know fundamentally this sort of th- this sort of thing undermines the palestinian cause in a, in a massive way I, I think i think there's been four people arrested is that right yes yeah, so there's been four arrests now made and um yeah, I mean, it, look, the, the the footage was absolutely vile. It was it was explicitly anti-Semitic, racist. It was misogynist, um, and it was, of course, you know, there's one reason it was done. It was to strike terror in, into the Jewish community. You know, it was explicitly vile anti-Semitism, and and there should be no kind of truck for people kind of saying, but this, but that. This is one of those where you know, as the anti-fascists, we just need to stand up and say this is disgusting and disgraceful. Uh, and and you're right, yeah, of course, it kind of it does nothing but harm the the, the movement for people that are trying to protest peacefully and and respectfully and in a non-anti-Semitic way around the issue of Palestinian rights. It's it was pretty shameful. And I, you know, in one sense, you know, the response from all of the both the prime minister, the leader of the opposition, lots of people spoke out. Uh, and that was nice to see. And and I'm really glad that people have been arrested. And I hope they're charged and and they kind of to throw the book at them and just for those for anyone listening this sort of stuff at the moment you know for anyone who wants to contact cst the community support trust um you know we work very closely with them they do amazing work protecting the jewish community if people are seeing anti-semitic graffiti or anti-semitic attacks all that sort of stuff always get in contact with cst they're, they're really great in this area in terms of monitoring this stuff and helping and helping communities yeah that's absolutely right that's that's really good advice couple of final stories very very quickly just to blast through one is um well i mean they're both absolutely disgraceful one is a an, an article written by former tory mp matthew paris he used to be mp for west derbyshire he wrote a column in the times i don't know if you saw this joe but the uh the headline was it's time we stopped pandering to travelers and then the subhead was indulging those who claim to be nomads by giving them designated sites and ethnic minority status has gone too far I mean, if, Kath, if if cancel culture was really as pervasive as people on the right think it is, this guy wouldn't be working in the media again, surely. I mean, that is an absolutely despicable uh, oh, it's, thing, it's, to, thing to write. I couldn't believe how extreme it was. Um, there is always this blind spot in the British media about kind of racism against travellers. Um, it seems to be the kind of the most acceptable remaining prejudice. You can kind of get away with it. You know, and like the, the Daily Mail did a follow-up piece saying liberal commentator Matthew yeah. Paris says travellers must be told their way of life is over. I mean, I, I, I'm not a big fan of when people say, you know, well, would you say that about this group or that group? You know, I think sometimes it's not a particularly useful way of 
talk about things. But in this case, can you imagine any other minority community being talked about in this way? Um, and this person, you know, I mean, some of the stuff in that article that he wrote veered into the territory of hate speech, I think. And um, yeah, I mean, absolutely outrageous. And the number of people that have defended it as well, do you know what I mean, in the right-wing press and um, turning around and say, you know, I've had some arguments with some people on social media, you know, David Tooby, who used to be at Quilliam, you know, talking about travellers almost as like a criminal gang. He was saying they're not an ethnic minority. And they're just, people seem to think it's acceptable to attack the traveller community uh, and, and the Romanies and Gypsy, Gypsy community in a, in a way that just people would not do in other ways. And this is just another example of it. And see it in a newspaper is pretty sickening, I think. Oh, I completely agree. Uh, absolutely disgusting. Um, and talking about the mainstreaming of, of, of hate, I mean, we, I don't know if people might have seen this Michael Fabricant tweet. I think he's deleted it now, but... Tory MP Michael Fabricant, he tweeted um, about pro-Palestinian activists. He said, these primitives are trying to bring to London what they do in the Middle East. I mean, first of all, I mean, obviously describing activists as primitives are unquestionably racist without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, and, and implying, in inverted commas, they are from the Middle East. I mean, it just makes it even worse. Uh, our CEO, Nick Lowell, he's written to the chief whip of the Tory party demanding that Fabricant suspended. Fabricant, I think, is... Uh, not showing himself in a good light by trying to criticize us today about this he's got previous though hasn't he joe i mean he's he he used the phrase anglo-muslim relations before uh implying that muslims can't be british and he also tweeted an islamophobic or retweeted i should say an islamophobic image of sadiq khan so it's remarkable that no action's been taken against this guy but then at the same time we have to remember the tories are completely dragging their feet on at least one racism investigation i, don't, I can't remember if they rolled them all together into one now but they uh so perhaps it's no surprise that nothing's been done but it, it's this is disgraceful isn't it joe <laughs> yeah i mean i feel like um we're, we're we're kind of mentioning terrible racist things and i say that's awful which it which it is but i mean in one sense with this case right um i'm not surprised right the tory party's lack of action on islamophobia and anti-muslim prejudice and racism you know this is nothing new uh, we have been pushing on this issue for ages for years you know calling for investigations highlighting instance after instance of islamophobia and racism in the tory party and nothing ever happens right uh, and michael fabricant's a good example of this i mean uh, you know the stuff he put out call, calling you know you can try and defend people try to defend this in all sorts of ways but talking about people as primitives uh it's very very difficult it's impossible not to to view that through a racist lens right so and as you say he's got form um, but I'd love to say I'm kind of surprised that there's been no action on this, but I'm not, right? Because it fits into a, a track record within the Tory party of failing to speak out uh, institutionally with the issues around you know, uh, Islamophobia, and it kind of, this continues. So I mean, I'm really glad that we've spoken out really loudly on this, and we've, we've kind of, we're continuing to put pressure on this. I'd, again, encourage other people on social media and out there to write to your MP, you know, you know, if you've got a Tory MP, write to them and say, look, I'm, this is unacceptable. You know, we need to build pressure on this because only when we build enough pressure that the Tory party feel they have no option but to act on these things will they finally act on them, I think. Yeah, quite right. Quite right. Joe, we've overrun. I think I'm going to have to re-record the intro to this podcast at some point because it said we're going to do it in 15 minutes or less. And that's the plan. But both times I think we've run over. So I might have to re-record the intro. It's fun. Well, it's just, the, it's, you know, I, the shorter the better in one sense because it's, it's not exactly the most chipper of podcasts. It's basically we go through and talk about what the far right have been up to and then we talk about how racist people are. So it might be a bit depressing for everyone listening. Yeah. So maybe we should try and keep it short. Maybe we should trim it a bit more. A um, couple of things. First of all, uh, if you are not signed up to our to our emails make sure you go to our website you can uh, you can sign up on there and 
if you have the means and you would like to, we have set up a fighting fund for the Batley and Spend by-election. It's looking like there's going to be at least one far-right candidate, possibly several, on the ballot paper for that by-election. Um, uh, so, you know, we're going we're to be having a ground campaign up there, I think, and all kinds of stuff. So if you would like to contribute to that, please do uh, visit our website. Um, otherwise, check back next week and uh, more to talk about, I'm sure. Thanks so much, Love- Joe. Yeah, thanks for having me. See you next week. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to Radio 43. Make sure you're subscribed and check back next week for another intelligence briefing. If you've got any questions for Joe, Nick or myself, or you'd just like to drop us a line, please send an email to our producer at jake at hopenothate.org.uk. And if you like what we do and you want to support our work, please head to our website www.hopenothate.org.uk and join our Hope Action Fund for less than one hour's wage a month. With your support, we will continue to shine a light on and disrupt the activities of the far right. Cheers.